I don't think anybody really thought Donald Trump would be the nominee of the Republican Party a year ago. Really, Chris Matthews? Nobody? You can't think of anybody? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio's KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ and 106.7 FM KSO. Out in Pennsylvania, 93FM WLRI in Lancaster. Way out in Hawaii on 88.5FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Up in Ohio on WGRN 94.1FM in Columbus. And Minneapolis-St. Paul on AM 950KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and yes, blanketing planet Earth five days a week on Radio Sputnik, this is the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another action-packed, thrilling adventure, your home uh, radio companion that we call the Bradcast. Okay, June 15, 2015, on the Bradcast, on this very program, the day... The same day that Trump announced his intention to run for the Republican nomination for president of the United States. As of today, uh, Donald Trump got into the race. And normally when I introduce a new candidate these days, uh, here's the theme song I'll, I'll play to do it. Now, that music seems more appropriate today on the surface than any other day. You would think I would use that as the theme song for Donald Trump's entry to the race. But no, I'm not. Uh, Today, there is one sound effect that I think is more appropriate than any other for Donald Trump entering the 2016 Republican race. And here it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Donald Trump, I believe, is blowing up the 2016 campaign. Yep. And he was. Uh, as the rest of the media, the corporate media that day, that was one almost one year ago now, despite what Chris Matthews said there at the opening. That was uh, uh, one year ago. The corporate media that day and for days and weeks and even months afterwards told you 
that Donald Trump's candidacy was a joke, that he wasn't going to run at first, or if he did, he couldn't win the nomination. The Republican and its voters would never coalesce around someone like Donald Trump. They told you time and again that uh, he had ruined his candidacy by something that he said. But we warned you, we warned you that day and in the weeks and months uh, and the year that has followed that his candidacy was anything but a joke and that he was going to do very well, at least well enough, to very likely win the GOP nomination. My guest on that first day of the uh, uh, of the Trump train back on June 15, 2015, was Heather Digby Parton, who also noted that Trump would be able to tap into the Republican id, the Republican voters id, the id that had been drilled into those voters by right wingers uh, at Fox News and right wing talk radio over the past decade or two. And that Trump was saying out loud what Republican politicians usually only said via dog whistle, via coded dog whistle. But Donald Trump, he was repeating verbatim what Fox News and talk radio grievance politics nonsense was all about. He was saying it out loud and Republican voters had by then already been trained to love it fact that the corporate media uh, didn't get that, still, I think, doesn't get that, is just amazing to me. Well, now that it looks like Donald Trump will, in fact, be the Republican nominee for president of these United States following the primary election yesterday in Indiana, well, it seems like a good time to have our friend Heather Digby Parton back on the broadcast to talk about it all, how we got here and where the hell everything goes from here. She will be joining us shortly perhaps to take a perverse victory lap of sorts of her own. Desi Doyen, of course, uh, speaking of perverse, is here with us today as well. How are you, Desi Doyen? Doing quite all right. All right. Have this you, is amazing. It's kind of amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, although not that amazing. Not that amazing if you were paying attention the whole time. I see so many people being so surprised about it. I'm just not. All right. Last night in Indiana, let's look at some of these uh, numbers where we are here. According to the reported results, note uh, this is based on the many votes that were cast in Indiana on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems across the Hoosier state. So take them with the grain of salt that they are worth in this case. Since nobody will challenge them, they are worth apparently quite a lot. Donald Trump won 53 percent of the vote in Indiana to Ted Cruz's 37 percent. Kasich, John Kasich was way behind at uh, eight points. Uh, so that was Trump over Cruz by 16 points and over Kasich by 45 points. The state of Indiana was thought to be the last best hope for Ted Cruz or for somebody, anyone to derail Donald Trump. But it didn't work. Trump wins all 57 available delegates, it now appears, in the state of Indiana. Cruz and Kasich won zero. That gives Trump 1,014 of the 1,237 delegates that he would need to win on the first ballot at the Republican convention. Well, looks like it's going to be easy now. Thoroughly rejected presidential candidate Ted Cruz and his twice thoroughly rejected 
quote-unquote vice presidential running mate Carly Fiorina finally saw the writing on the wall after the results came in on Tuesday night in Indiana. Cruz announced the suspension of his long-ago failed campaign after a painfully lengthy speech carried in full by all the cable news networks. This is what Cruz said. The pundits all said it was hopeless. And it turns out it was hopeless. With a heavy heart, but with boundless optimism for the long-term future of our nation, we are suspending our campaign. Yes, as it turns out, he suspended. Uh, He had little choice, of course. As uh, uh, Taniel on Twitter, he's one of the the keen election numbers watchers I I pay attention to. He's a contributor at Daily Coast Elections, a Ph.D. student. He tweeted even before Cruz dropped out that uh, all Trump would need to get the 1237 delegates was wins in New Jersey and West Virginia. Uh, and less of half of California delegates he could afford as of last night to lose in Nebraska, Oregon, Washington, Montana, New Mexico, South Dakota. So, uh, yes, uh, Ted Cruz saw the writing on the wall. Uh, And apparently now so has John Kasich. As uh, public policy polling tweeted Tuesday after the Indiana results, they said uh, in the West Virginia poll we released today, that West Virginia is coming up next week, and in the West Virginia poll we we released today, we found Trump would lead Kasich 68 to 25 in a two-person race. Adding so dot dot dot, yes. John Kasich has also now seen the writing on the wall, is reportedly getting out of the race as well, clearing the way for Donald Trump to be the nominee, uh, the nominee for the Republican uh, uh, Party this uh, this year. It's just amazing. Reince Priebus, head of the Republican Party, tweeted last night that uh, Donald Trump will be the presumptive GOP nominee. We all need to unite and focus on defeating Hillary Clinton. Hashtag never Clinton. So, yep, he's the Republican uh, nominee for president, uh, president of the United States. Trump, during his victory speech last night, uh, had, among other things, this to say. That's what our country needs. We have to win again. We have to know how to win. And we haven't won. We've been losing all the time. We lose with our military. We can't beat ISIS. We lose with, lose with trade. We lose with borders. We lose with everything. We're not going to lose. We're going to start winning again, and we're going to win bigly. Yeah. Our theme is very simple. It's make America great again. We will make America great again. We will start winning again. You will be so proud of this country very, very soon. Thank you all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was uh, Donald Trump last night at his victory speech at the uh, Trump Tower in New York City, sounding very presidential, just as he (laughs) promised he would be sounding. And uh, will that argument of his be a convincing one for the electorate this November? We'll be talking about that with Heather Digby Parton shortly. And for those who think he will be easily derailed, uh, Jake Tapper points out a, a study from a media group Uh, Last night, he said 75 million, almost 76 million dollars was spent on airing 
More than 63,000 anti-Trump ads on network television. And apparently that did no good at all. Donald Trump was able to easily dispatch his, what, 16 or 17 opponents uh, throughout this primary cycle. Yes. No easy feat. 16 or 17 opponents and more than 60,000 uh, negative ads against him. Well, I don't think that that 60,000 or six, however much money was spent on negative ads against him can compete in any way whatsoever with all the free media yeah. that he got from the corporate media. Every time he felt like going on air, he got on air for as long as he wanted. And indeed, it did not compete. Uh, someone a, c- a couple of months ago, I think, uh, tallied up the the price, the cost of what it would be if, if Donald Trump had actually paid for all that free uh, media time. And it was uh, I think it was in, it was I want to say it was in the billions. I don't want to do a Trump exaggeration here, but I actually <laughs> think it was uh, somewhere in the billions. Meanwhile, on the Democratic side, you may not have heard, you may not have noticed, uh, but the woman described as the presumptive nominee for the Democratic presidential nomination lost. Yes, she lost. Hillary Clinton lost yet another primary election on Tuesday night in the crucial swing state of Indiana. Bernie Sanders defeated her 53 percent to 47 percent, reportedly. That is a uh, uh, it was a six point victory for Sanders over the front runner who had been favored to win Indiana in pretty much all of the uh, available polls leading up to the Tuesday election. Uh, it was also a six-delegate pickup for Bernie Sanders. So that uh, there lies ahead in the weeks ahead some potentially very good states for Bernie Sanders uh, with open primaries. Open primaries coming up, and that's key because open primaries bring in a lot of... Uh, uh, you know, moderate or independent voters, I should say, even Republican voters who may be scared to death about uh, who their party has chosen to be the uh, nominee this year. So there are some uh, very good uh, states ahead that I would say Bernie is likely to win with open primaries in West Virginia, Oregon, Kentucky, California, Montana, New Mexico, New Jersey, South Dakota, North Dakota, uh, Washington, D.C., some caucuses in some U.S. territories, all where voters have not been allowed yet to ring in with their choices. Nonetheless, closing the early gap in pledged delegates uh, that Hillary Clinton gained uh, early on in the race, particularly in, in the South, that remains no easy feat for Bernie Sanders. It may be an all but impossible feat for the Vermont senator, despite his having the highest favorability rating of all the candidates in the race uh, yesterday, today and uh, and tomorrow, it seems. Uh, so still, Bernie Sanders remains in the race. In a statement to his supporters on Tuesday night, he vowed to keep competing until the last vote is cast. Quote, the Clinton campaign thinks this uh, campaign is over. They're wrong, Sanders said. We understand that we will have an uphill climb to victory, but we have been fighting uphill from the first day of this campaign. Sanders also spoke to the press after his upset victory in Indiana on Tuesday night. But good luck finding those comments if you were watching cable news, watching the results coming in on Tuesday night, despite Sanders' upset win against the presumptive Democratic nominee. You would think that would be big news. But I'm told CNN didn't carry his remarks to the media at all. MSNBC did. A little bit. I saw it for about two minutes, maybe three. 
Contrast with that, uh, that with the uh, the full coverage of the speeches from both Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. So they covered it for a minute or two before cutting away to commercial. Among his comments to the media, his vow to continue on through California on June 7th, the final primary uh, the following week in D.C. on June 14th, and then on to the convention in Philadelphia. I think there are many in the media, like you and others, who have decided that the campaign is over. Well, I guess the people of Indiana did not quite agree with that assessment. And I think you may be surprised to find out that the folks, and I'm not predicting, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but the people of West Virginia may not agree with that assessment. And the people of Oregon may not agree with that assessment. And the people in our largest state, California, may not agree with that assessment. So we think, we understand, and I do not deny it for one second, that we have an uphill battle in front of us. Our goal is twofold. Number one, to win a majority of pledged delegates. Uh, Number two, it is to make sure that in those states where we have won landslide victories, you know, 65, 70 percent of the votes, that the superdelegates in those states listen to their constituents and vote the way their constituents voted in their state's primaries or caucuses. And thirdly, we are going to make the case to the superdelegates, many of them, by the way, came on board Hillary Clinton's campaign before I was even an announced candidate. They were there way back when. Well, the world has changed in the last year. And I believe that we will be able to make the case to many of those superdelegates that what is most important is not whether Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders is the nominee. What is most important is that we do not allow someone like a Donald Trump to become president of the United States. And I think that according to every poll that I have seen in the last month, Bernie Sanders defeats Donald Trump in the national polls by greater margins than does Hillary Clinton. And Bernie Sanders beats uh, Donald Trump by greater margins than Hillary Clinton in battleground state after battleground state after battleground state. In other words, I think Bernie Sanders just over the bridge from Louisville in Indiana tonight. Remember, it was the Clinton campaign thought they were going to have this campaign wrapped up. Uh, More of our coverage right after this. Uh And that was MSNBC on air all night, but they couldn't allow Bernie Sanders to finish his remarks to the press before cutting uh, before cutting him off, going to a commercial, by the way. Uh, just amazing. Uh, but at least MSNBC carried some of it. CNN, as I'm told, uh, carried none of it. As to what Sanders uh, was saying about the polls and that him doing better against Donald Trump than Hillary Clues, uh, than Hillary Clinton, that continues to be true, uh, even in a number of polls that have come out over the past 24 hours or so. Sanders making the case uh, that he will continue on through the convention, that uh, many of the superdelegates who are supporting Hillary Clinton now have been doing so since before he even became a candidate in this race. Well, with Bernie Sanders now vowing or continuing to vow to go all the way through to California and um, and very likely uh, to win in a number of the upcoming primaries uh, in a number of states with those open primaries I mentioned in the coming weeks and with little or nothing to now stop the Trump train on the Republican side from rolling towards the nomination. It seems like a great chance to talk again with the great Heather Digby Parton about the entire fine mess, and we will do so after this short break. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Trump, Donald Trump, put on his uh, his presidential act, just as he told us he would after uh, after being announced the winner of the Indiana primary party last night and now the presumptive GOP nominee. After Ted Cruz and John Kasich have finally dropped out of the race, uh, it looks like he's ready to go. He declared that his campaign will not only make America great again, but that we will, quote, love each other, cherish each other, take care of each other. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Okay, she is known only uh, simply as Digby to many longtime progressive blog readers online. Heather Digby Parton is the creator of the infamous Digby's Hullabaloo blog. She's also now a regular contributor at Salon and 2014's Hillman Prize winner for opinion and analysis journalism and one of the co-founders of the venerable Blue America PAC, which I'm told has endorsed Bernie Sanders, though I don't know that she has personally. I'm also happy to say, by the way, that she joined me. Digby was here on day one of Trump's campaign last June when nobody, at least other than us here on the broadcast, took Trump's announcement very seriously, even as uh, uh, both Digby and I argued that day that they damn well should. Uh, Heather Digby Parton, welcome back to the broadcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Brad. All right. You were our debate coverage champion this year, by the way, <laughs> uh, during the debate season. I think you must have uh, appeared here about well, I was going to say 10, maybe even more of those debates. So I'll take this opportunity to thank you for that, uh, though we have missed you since those debates have come <laughs> to a wrap. Uh, but today seems like a perfect moment to have you back on, Heather, after what happened uh, on Tuesday in Indiana, uh, now that your predictable nightmare has come true. Uh, And it was predictable. Uh, You know, we both said uh, really that there was nothing to stop Trump, it seemed, from winning the GOP nomination from day one. Is there just to make sure we're crossing the T's and dotting the I's? Is there anything left out there that could possibly change that trajectory at this point, Heather? I I can't imagine what it would be. I mean, I think you're, you're watching the Republican Party it's a very interesting process now of watching them all come to terms with what has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, other than, you know, an act of God, uh, maybe a meteor hitting, <laughs> uh, hitting the country, something yep. like that. But yep. other than that, he's it. I mean, he's, he's the guy. And, and, you know, in a sense, you've got to admit, it's rightfully so. I mean, more people have voted for him than any of the others, and let's not forget that this was supposed to be the deepest bench, the most Mm. awesomely prepared uh, group of presidential candidates 
in American history. I mean, we had governors and senators mm-hmm. and former governors and TV stars. We had everything, and it came down to Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. Out of that entire group, that is what we were left with. Yep. And, um, you know, that is where that is a, a legitimate reflection of the Republican Party, and I think anybody who says it isn't is not paying attention. And uh, speaking of people who are not paying attention uh, and uh, reflections of the Republican Party and this deep bench you reference, we know it was a deep bench, uh, an impressive array of Republican candidates, because that is what the corporate media uh, told us. That's what actually the GOP told us and, coincidentally, the corporate media, both right-wing and non-right-wing corporate media. Does the media, do the media yet understand their culpability uh, in what has happened here, either the media or the or the GOP, for that matter? Do they understand how they built Donald Trump? I don't think so. I really don't. I don't get that sense. Mm -hmm. There is some soul searching that you can find in various corners of the of the media where people are wondering whether or not. I mean, let's face it. And you and I both know this. This this was a ratings bonanza for cable news. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's it, Donald Trump has been a tremendous benefit to them on a financial basis. There's no doubt about it. Trump knew it when he went in, and mm-hmm. they knew it too. And Trump was a professional um, media guy. He wrote in his book, The Art of the Deal, that the key was to you know always stay in the media. It didn't matter in what way you were in the media, just as long as you were. He manipulated the tabloids in New York for his own benefit, and he manipulated the cable news networks and the uh, you know, the presidents of the cable news network, which is very interesting. He had personal relationships with these people, yeah. from, you know, Jeff Zucker to, to um, uh, you know, Rupert Murdoch and Roger Ailes, and he played them off of each other throughout that campaign. I mean, you can say a lot about Trump, and he is, you know, I mean, I think he is probably the least knowledgeable uh president presidential nominee ever and that's saying something because he yes. did have george w bush yes but he he is good at this one thing and he showed that he knew how to do it and the media allowed it to happen for their own benefit i mean we watched i've never seen this before in a presidential campaign in a primary campaign where we would watch for hours on end mm-hmm. on the main news networks all of them sometimes at the same time sometimes just one or two but you would see entire rallies, uh, Donald Trump rallies, uh, shown in real time. And, and I want to actually talk to you about that because you—that was something that you also called on day one. Uh, his the, just his appeal to the general public, and I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. But I want to actually dig a little bit deeper on the media's culpability here, not just in uh, you know giving him the airtime throughout the campaign, but. Uh, priming the pump, if you will, over the past, uh, uh, you know, 10 or 20 years, even while they have been, you know, regarding the Republican Party going off the rails, as I have been arguing at Bradblog.com and here on the broadcast. I know you have over at uh, uh, Hullabaloo and so forth. They made Donald Trump possible long ago, long before he even announced that he was running. And that's the point that I think uh, the media and the Republican Party still have no concept of. Am I right about that? Absolutely. And I mean, this goes back to I mean, you can go all the way. You can trace this back to the 1960s when the media decided that they needed to uh 
I don't know exactly how to put this. They needed they needed to empathize with what they thought of as real America. The you know the salt of the earth folks out there, unlike themselves, unlike the uh, you know the elites who and they needed to, they were uh, they're they're they saw themselves as being too uh, sympathetic in some ways to the left uh, side of the dial during that mm-hmm. that you know tumultuous era. So they did a big, big readjustment. And in, in doing that, what they did was they enabled not just Donald Trump, you know, 30 years later, they enabled Ronald Reagan in the near term mm-hmm. by doing this. So this created an orientation toward, uh, you know, the kind of issues, the kind of talk, the kind of rhetoric that Trump, was, he's the sort of zenith of, of, mm-hmm. of that particular thing. He is the id yeah. of that conservative you know, uh, the essence right. um, over the course of the last 30 years. And without the media having prepared people for believing that this was, an, this was normal, that this represented America, I'm not sure it really even would. I mean, right now he's getting, Trump is getting, what is it, a, uh, maybe he's getting 50% of a small percentage of the American voters mm-hmm. in a few states. I mean, this is that's that's the best he's done. This is not a great representation of America. However, uh, that is certainly the America that the media has said for many many decades uh, represents the real America, uh, the one, the heartland, the people who you know, the working the working man, as Sarah Palin used to say, the guy with the steel-toed boots, you know. This was the real America. The rest of us are all a bunch of chopped liver, and we, you know, who cares what we think? And so that prepares Donald Trump to be seen as this avatar, despite the fact that he's a, you know, I mean, the the guy's a New York billionaire. You know, I mean, he's anything but a, you know, a a literal representation. Yeah, of an everyman. (laughs) But he is, that's who he's speaking to, and that is who is impressed by him, and that is what counts. But they didn't, the, you know, the corporate media, if you and I both saw this coming from the beginning, Heather, uh, you know, the question remains, why couldn't the corporate media see this coming from the beginning? What are their blinders? And, well, maybe you nail it. Maybe you nail it in saying that, you know, rather than rejecting uh, what they should have rejected amongst the right-wingers and the false, uh, you know, the false facts and the false arguments, they, they encouraged them. They allowed them because they, I think they were cowed by the folks on the right for so many years uh, that, you know, if, if they called out people for lying, uh, called out, you know, Republicans for not telling the truth, they would be seen as the liberal media. And I think they are now so afraid that, you know, they are willing to allow uh, the Republican Party and the right wing media to just run roughshod over the country. And they're afraid to speak up and call out the liars as liars. Um, And now I think the Republican Party may pay a price for it, although I'm not sure. Heather, uh, you called it, frankly, uh, when when we had you on the broadcast back on day one, back in June of 2015, you noted you pointed out something that I hadn't hadn't occurred to me at that at that moment, which was that uh, Donald Trump was not just a reality star. He, He was an actor like Reagan and he was a popular one. And in fact, He's still a very good actor. And and I will say, uh, and, and to that end, he's likable, even to people who disagree with him. He is he's very funny. His joke about John McCain, remember, that was supposed to knock him out of the 
uh, out of the running way back when. He said, what was it? I prefer my uh, war heroes not be captured, to be honest, or something like that. It was actually a very good joke. It might have been in bad taste, but it was actually quite funny. Some pretended to be offended uh, by it, but it was, I think it's that likability, that funniness, frankly, that I think makes him uh, a great danger uh, as far as appealing to the electorate. Please tell me that you feel I'm wrong and why, Heather. Well, that's really the big bet here, isn't it? I mean, I think that most people, even people who are voting for Trump, who really like him, I mean, you see mm-hmm. these people interviewed all the time, they understand that on a policy level, the guy is probably not, um, how can I put this, up to speed. <laughs> um, but they trust that he'll, you know, hire people right. who will be able to do what what is necessary. What they like, basically, about him is that he sort of express. He and they say this out upfront. They say, you know, he says what I'm thinking. He, mm-hmm. um, you know, he speaks for me. He rejects political correctness. You know, he's not a politician. All this kind of stuff. So the bet that's being made here on this election is is a bet between whether or not people take this stuff seriously and believe that the job of president. Um, is one in which you have to go into it prepared in a very specific way with all these issues and have to understand the way the world works. They have to understand the way our government works. I mean, Trump doesn't even seem to get that. Or whether or not this is actually just, you know, where, where, what this is, is it's a presidential pageant. It's kind of a show. Mm-hmm. And that, that, you know, what I think in some cases, I think the Trump people figure the government runs regardless of whether or not of who's at the top. So I just want somebody who's expressing, you know, my feelings, because it doesn't really matter who's president. Uh, Well, in American politics, Heather, I think that uh, voters tend to vote for the for the candidate that they like, who is likable. And uh, no matter what people think about Trump's politics, I've long warned, be careful what you wish for, Democrats, because Donald Trump does come across to many people as likable. And to that end, I know we've got just a few more minutes with you here. Uh, I want to go to the Democratic side and see if we can make sense of all of this. What does it mean that we have a Democratic candidate believed to be the presumptive nominee uh, at this point by many, that's Hillary Clinton, who continues to lose presidential primaries and is not particularly popular, not particularly likable to a great uh, segment of the electorate. What, what do we make of it that this late in the campaign, Hillary Clinton is still losing to Bernie Sanders? Well, I think what you make of that is that the Democrats have a different primary system, <laughs> um, and it is designed to go all the way. Um, you know, unless it's a blowout, um, I think you would. It's designed with this proportional delegate system to uh, allow as many people to vote in the primary as mm-hmm. possible. So I think that's more of a structural issue because I think it is true that she has, you know, so far we just with the popular vote sort of demonstrated a greater, uh, it's not so much a greater popularity, but a, a, a more diverse population of people who like her than Sanders has. And it's not all that many people, but it's it's substantial enough to ensure her the nomination. But, you know, her popularity is in the, t- is, you know, in the, in the dirt, but so yeah. is Trump. So, I mean, the truth is, is that neither one of the two people, I mean, Trump is vastly unpopular with with women. I mean, he's got a 70%-plus mm-hmm. disapproval rate. Hispanics, 83%, I believe, is the last number. And they just did a big poll among millennials, and he only has a 17% approval rating among people under the age, <laughs> under the age of 30. Yes. So, 
you know, I mean, we are dealing with a very unusual circumstance. I think what you're talking about is, uh, you know, I mean, I think Trump is the sort of pivotal, you know, aspect of this, more than Clinton. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is a, there's a whole, you know, group of people who are going to hate her no matter what, uh, for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that she's a woman. She's also, you know, part of a democratic um, you know, it, it, machine mm -hmm. that is, you know, loathed deep down, you know, as far as it can be loathed by Republicans and has been for 30 years. Um, but there's also, you know, the fact it's Trump who is the one. It, do you, can you deal with him or can't you? And I think there are plenty of people who look to him and see a guy that, you know, he just looks like a leader to them. He mm -hmm. just looks like somebody who can lead, and not delete, you know, because he tells them that. I mean, he is up, totally up front. It well, is, sure. Well, he, it is, it he, is uh, it, you know, I am a leader. Right. Listen to me brag about myself. We, we, know, we know you're a leader because you told us so yourself. Because you told That's us, right. yeah, that well, you're a leader. But Heather, so I, th I think it's about him more than, than her, but I don't think anybody should be complacent here because I think I'm with you. I think Trump is far more... Um, I don't even want to say likable. I think more interesting is really mm -hmm. the best way to look at it. He's somebody that you can't take your eyes off, and I am the same way. I hate him, but I, he's compelling. And yeah, I can't you want to watch myself. him. But let, let me let me try to uh, get at this question uh, this way, Heather Digby Parton. Uh, the uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, as you note, she she does not have great favorability. She's not uh, very likable. Um, and I understand the proportional system of delegates that the Democrats use. It's one thing, however, uh, for it to go on and on. It's another thing for her to lose in a big swing state like Indiana. And if you look at the calendar ahead, it looks like she's very likely to lose in a number of, uh, of, of the states that are still left on the calendar over the next month. Whether Bernie can get enough delegates is a you know to to win the nomination that's a separate issue. But you've got a deeply unpopular even within her own party candidate. Now, does the fact that Donald Trump is has all but sealed the deal? Will that make any difference to voters now looking and saying, man, we are definitely choosing a candidate who will go up against Donald Trump? Does that change the math at all on the Democratic side, uh, either for Hillary or, or for Bernie, as you see it? Um, I doubt it. I mean, I think people have known that, that it was going to be Trump or Cruz for some time, and either one is totally un unacceptable to Democrats. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, I don't... I mean, I kind of disagree with you about, about the fact that it means anything. <laughs> and the reason is I might have, except mm -hmm. that in 2008, Clinton won nine of the last 12 uh, Mm -hmm. 12, 12, uh, the primaries primary against Obama and yeah. against Obama. And in fact, she, won, she won Indiana. Okay. Um, and, and so, you know, I don't, it's just, this is the way the democratic party does this. It's a big tug of war. Uh, I think it's designed to go as far as it possibly can in a, in a contested election. I mean, if in a, in a, you know, an incumbent election like 2012, of course, nothing happens, but in a contested election, I think it's designed to do that. And I think it's fine. I mean, I think it's great because what that does is, creates within the party a true discussion over the course of many months about the party itself and what it's going to do and how it feels about certain things. And I think that that is a, is a much healthier thing than just having a system designed 
for the front runner to just put it away with winner-take-all content. I'm going to toss this out there that things may change over the next few weeks, and I don't know how it will affect the race, but with the, uh, you know, we got a taste of Trump's general election campaign, I think, uh, last night uh, during his victory speech when he was going against uh, Bill Clinton's NAFTA, uh, you know, keeping companies from moving out of the country, uh, taking care of veterans. He said we will, quote, need to love each other, cherish each other, take care of each other. He was, well, he listened. If you believe that, then, <laughs> then you haven't been listening to Donald Trump. Heather, He's he, also going to be saying some stuff about Hillary Clinton that's likely to not be all that pleasant to hear. You don't think he's going to be able to behave women. presidential for the next I, uh, few I months? I have my doubts. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> I've seen no evidence that he has any kind of self-control. So I suspect that he's going to be, you know, he, this is just who he is. And I think that plenty of people like it. And like I said before, it's not just that they like it. I think plenty of the rest of us who hate him still find him tremendously compelling. And for people who are not in the politics on, you know, a really mm-hmm. substantive level, uh, he could bring out a whole bunch of voters who would just want to vote for the show. Well, I think he could do that. you are uh, uh, smarter than me. You won a Hillman Prize, and I haven't. But I still, I, I'm, I'm worried still that you may be vastly underestimating uh, w- what Trump can do uh, and, and what could happen from here on out. I hope you're right, and I am totally wrong, Heather Digby-Parton. And by the way, it wouldn't be the first time if that happened. <laughs> so uh, thank you for uh, for joining us here on uh, on the broadcast once again. And uh so far, really, all, all uh, primary season long, it has been a joy talking to you. Uh, I always learn something. And, uh, well, we got uh, more debates coming up, no doubt, in the fall. So oh, yeah. I suspect we will be talking to you uh, and hopefully before then as well. Heather digby oh, Parton, so. thank you so much uh, from Salon. Check out her work as ever over at Salon and on the Twitters at Digby56. And, of course, at uh, Hullabaloo, digbysblog.blogspot.com. Thanks, Heather. Thank you for having me, Brad. It's fun as always. Thank you. All right, a quick break, and we are back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Boy, did the media screw this one up. I will show you how. I'm Brad. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to help keep us going. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. We want to bring unity to the Republican Party. We have to bring unity. It's so much easier if we have it. Any, many people are calling that you wouldn't even believe. People that have said the worst things about me, and they're calling now, and they're saying, we'd love to get on the train, the Trump train, they call it, but we'd love to get on the team. People get ready as a train a-coming. Yep. You don't need no baggage, you just get on. Yeah, there is a train a coming. There is a train a coming, and I don't think uh, the electorate understands it. I know the corporate mainstream media still does not understand it. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com with you here. I'm not even sure Heather uh, Digby Parton gets it. I I really don't. I'm. I think there's. 
so much that is going to happen over the next few months. You thought it was a crazy uh, primary election cycle to date. I think this is going to just get crazier in the months ahead. And that doesn't even, uh, you know, take into account things like, oh, you know, terrorist attacks. The unexpected. The unexpected. Things that uh, uh, Donald Trump will, uh, you know, most certainly benefit from or at least try to capitalize on. So I think there's still a lot of misunderestimating going on out there for Donald Trump. I really do. Um, and, of course, there's just a complete misunderstanding of, of how we got here still in the corporate media, as uh, as Heather Parton was was pointing out. Steve Schmidt, who was the uh, chair, was he uh, uh, chair or the uh, uh, campaign, campaign manager yeah, for McCain-Palin in 2008? Right. Um, no dummy, he uh, he decried those who did not see this coming. He said uh, that uh, this was uh, on Tuesday night after the uh, after the results came in. Uh, he said that those who did not see the collapse of the Republican Party as a as a party, as a legitimate governing body, uh, as I've been noting, uh, he pointed that out. And he asked if any of these people have listened to talk radio, right wing talk radio for even five minutes. And he talked about the tone that has been emanating from it for years, which should have been a clue that the that the pump was primed and the ground was fertile for a Donald Trump. The tone is disgusting around our political discourse. And Trump has been a reflection of that tone in this steel cage match Republican primary. You look at the intellectual collapse of the conservative movement, the fading of giants like William F. Buckley, you know, the replacements, you know, of, uh, you know, purveyors of blogs and polemics that and, and it's all collapsed. Well, this is the tone that has emanated from yeah. talk radio. And this cancer has spread and that tone has infected the whole of the party. And so the, the this this moment that we've arrived at where there's been a severability now between issues and conservatism. And the test of who's the conservative in the race is who has the loudest voice of opposition. Yeah. We went from being the small government party, but a movement of ideas to being an anti-government party. And when institutions collapse and we no longer propose anything, and we no longer stand for anything, we no longer advocate for anything, and we don't turn out intellectually the ideas that can move the country, the country forward you arrive at this moment that was steve schmidt on msnbc on tuesday night after donald trump uh became what is uh, clearly the presumptive nominee for the republican party saying frankly what we have been saying for i don't know how long and a lot of people i suspect you know heard what i was saying on on this program and at brandblog.com as oh uh, you know he's some uh, liberal lefty he's some democrat or something who just does not like republicans no i have been saying that the party the republican party has been collapsing collapsing as a legitimate political body they are bereft of real ideas. They no longer have, uh, you know, present facts. They are no longer in touch with reality. I've been warning. And, you know, that's why we every time we can. We had yesterday on this program a uh, Republican from the uh, from the state of Missouri, a state senator, uh, because I'm, I'm, I try to and he's proposing banning the touchscreens across the state of Missouri. I think it's a great idea. And I try to bring on when I can find 
a non-insane Republican with a legitimate idea. I try to bring them on the show because I think this country needs a healthy Republican Party. Whether I disagree or agree with, with Republican politics, I would like to see a legitimate Republican Party. So when Steve Schmidt says that uh, you could have seen this coming miles and miles away if you had bothered to take five minutes to look at uh, what has been going on across our public airwaves in these United States now for the past two decades. Our public airwaves, the polemics, uh, the madness, the insanity, the frankly, the just the lack of policy altogether coming from right wing talk radio and infecting the body politic in this country. If you if you weren't paying attention, well, then you don't know what's going on. And you've got the corporate media out there who is supposed to be reporting on what is actually going on amongst the body politic. And they remain clueless and not just not just the right wingers, uh, you know, not just Fox News and, and, and the expected, uh, uh, you know, band of knuckleheads, but the right wing, the serious media, the serious media, the ones who are supposed to know things didn't see this coming, didn't see it coming for weeks and weeks and months and months throughout this entire presidential cycle. They still did not get it. Uh, genius Nate Silver over at 538.com. Uh, where was this? Uh, and I, I don't have the, the date on this one, but he said uh, one of the nation's top polling analysts says real estate magnate Donald Trump is unlikely to win the Republican presidential nomination. This was just a few months ago. Nate Silver, the founder and editor-in-chief of the data journalism website 538, told an audience at an event in New York on Wednesday that he didn't think Trump would be the nominee because he wasn't conservative enough. I don't think that Donald Trump is very likely to win the nomination in part because he's not really a Republican Silver told journalist Mo Rocca at the uh, 92nd Street Y in Manhattan. Mo Rocca, of course, is on CBS. What is it? Sunday morning, whatever that that show is on the network. So they all agreed amongst themselves. Donald Trump could not possibly win. And of course, Nate Silver, he had the data journalism to back him up. He had the data. He follows the numbers. He was right on all of the polls going back in, what was it, 2008 uh, and so forth. Um, and yet, completely wrong on this. Completely wrong. Zaid Jelani over at The Intercept uh, was pointing out last night story after story after story in the corporate media where they were telling us that Trump could not possibly win. Uh, this is over at Bloomberg. Uh, Jonathan Bernstein headline, seriously, Trump won't win. Part of it says uh, nothing so far tells us that Trump has any serious chance of being the Republican nominee. That was in October. That was mid-October of 2015. Sounds like a lot of denial to me. You think? In December of 2015, over at U.S. News, the case against Trump, uh, the case against Trump winning remains strong, wrote Robert Schlesinger, Schlesinger, managing editor of U.S. News and World Report. With Donald Trump's GOP lead growing in recent polls, here are some reasons to remain skeptical of him. Over at The New York Times, Nate Cohen, back in July of last year, um, 
<laughs> this the Trump's can, Trump the Trump campaign's turning point. Mr. Trump's candidacy probably reached an inflection point on Saturday after he essentially criticized John McCain for being captured during the Vietnam War. Republican campaigns and elites quickly moved to condemn his comments, a shift that will probably mark the moment when Trump's candidacy, candidacy went from boom to bust. That was the warning in July of last year from The New York Times. From Nate Cohn, uh, that same uh, writer, Nate Cohn, went on to tell us, uh, when was this? So that was July. In February, he he went on to tell us headline, how Marco Rubio could lose every state on Super Tuesday and still win. How'd that work out? David Brooks, the uh, conservative columnist over at The New York Times, the esteemed conservative uh, uh, journalist who has long been on the opinion pages at the New York Times uh, headline December 4, 2015 simply, no Donald Trump won't win that's what we were informed by the New York Times maybe David Brooks was, uh, maybe he was talking about he won't win uh, in November, maybe, maybe that's what he was talking about, he wasn't talking about the primary yeah, he was actually talking about the primary so all wrong, completely wrong. Speaking of completely wrong, Charles Krauthammer, who is always, always wrong. Back in December, Krauthammer's take brokered convention won't happen because Trump won't win. Speaking on Fox News, uh, Krauthammer, uh, Krauthammer argued Republicans will congregate around an anti-Trump candidate toward the end of the primary season, thus removing any possibility of a brokered convention. Well, I guess he was right in that it won't be a brokered convention <laughs> uh, over even at The Guardian uh, in the UK. Here's why Donald Trump won't win the Republican presidential nomination. Just headline after headline. Uh, Bill Crystal, well, of course, Bill Crystal, the man behind. He's always wrong. Always wrong. We expect him to be wrong. And of course, uh, he was. Uh, real he did not disappoint. No, he didn't. Real Clear Politics points out that uh, Crystal. Uh, saying, I guarantee Donald Trump won't be the Republican nominee. <laughs> so they've uh, made their bed. Yeah. Now they may lie in it. Although, unfortunately, the rest of us will have to as well. We have to lie in it with them. That's the problem here. Uh, so they don't report. Uh, they haven't reported. For years now, for decades, on what is actually going on in the Republican Party. Not only have they not reported it, they have misreported it. What else have they not reported? What else have they misreported? Problems and concerns about the electoral system itself. And so if you add on, uh, you know, the fact that the media can't report what's going on, the fact that you could see uh, have unexpected events like terrorist events, um, and add to that the fact that the media does not actually either report on or even understand how our electoral system actually works. Uh, they don't understand how our voting system works, which is something that we cover day in and day out on this program to the point where we probably drive you crazy. Nate Silver, uh, the genius who told us all that... Uh, that Donald Trump was not going to win because he wasn't conservative enough. He would be rejected by Republicans. He has long poo-pooed any concern whatsoever about our electoral, about our voting machines and how easily uh, they are gamed, how easily they are hacked. And frankly, above and beyond that, not just gamed or hacked, but how often they simply fail. 
add to that the Republican voter suppression laws that are in place. I think you got a lot of uh, people who are vastly misunderestimating uh, the threat that Donald Trump poses to uh, to this country. We will see. And as I say, I hope I'm wrong. And uh, because I've been uh, scaring the hell out of you, let me give you one happy story before we go. I know we got (laughs) to get out, but let me do this just to make you all feel better on the way out the door. Uh, This is uh, following on the uh, Delaware primary last week. uh, Associated Press picked up this story. I'm sorry, Rhode Island. Rhode Island uh, story where Bernie Sanders, that was the one state that Bernie won uh, a week or so ago in in the uh, five-state northeastern primary. Uh, Associated Press Matt O'Brien writes, Bernie Sanders can thank a patient ferry captain for helping to cement his Democratic presidential primary victory in the sleepy resort community of Block Island. Sanders captured 64 percent of the Democratic vote on Tuesday on that remote island. That is a 55 minute boat ride from mainland Rhode Island. But there wouldn't have been enough ballots for all 308 islanders who cast Democratic ballots uh, were it not for a frenzied mission to get an emergency shipment to Block Island before its sole polling place closed. Town clerk Molly Fitzgerald panicked at 4 p.m. as she learned that there weren't enough Democratic ballots to last through the night. She had reserved 300 and they were almost gone. The planes had stopped running, she said. There was one ferry boat left for the day. It was going to leave the mainland at 4.45 p.m. That's when Ann Irons, a clerk in the mainland town of Narragansett, got a call for help. Irons jumped in her car, went to a polling place to find extra ballots, sealed them up, drove them to the ferry dock at the Port of Galilee. Waiting for her was Steve Kimball, hero of democracy, the boat's longtime (laughs) captain, and the 92 passengers of the day's last ferry. Kimball held the boat for 22 minutes behind its scheduled departure for the shipment of ballots to arrive. He said, uh, uh, we pride ourselves on trying to depart on time every time, according to Gimbel's colleague, Chris Myers, a port captain. But in this case, we thought it would be worthy to hold the boat. Nice. Rhode Island was the only state of the five that held primaries Tuesday where Sanders beat frontrunner Hillary Clinton. Fitzgerald said she wasn't expecting such a heavy turnout. Sounds familiar. And they all got to vote, which does not sound all that familiar, this presidential uh, primary (laughs) cycle, unfortunately. Way to go, Rhode Island. Uh, I love that story. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can download it as ever for free at bradblog.com or over at iTunes. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and to my guest, Salon's Heather Digby-Parton. Find me and follow me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. And drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>